0: Very happy to have you this morning, and um, of course, we, um, we understand the need for believers to gather and assemble together. Uh, I remember uh, Dennis Burke saying at one point that you can, uh, you can, there's a lot of, there's some toys that say some assembly required. You can dump all those parts on the carpet, doesn't make them assembled, right? Uh, you can put a bunch of people in a room, doesn't really make them assembled either, uh, it, it, there's, a, there's a wonderful mystery and miracle in the fact that he causes us to fit together. And we're growing into that. Um, we haven't figured it out fully yet. We're, we're letting God shape us and mold us. I'm certainly still letting God shape me and mold me into how I fit into the body and how, how we see each other fitting into the body and fitting with one another. And so I'd encourage you to uh, let God Adjust, let God sand parts that need to be sanded, let God shape and mold you um, because he's called you to a house, he's called you to a body, he's not called you to be an island, he's called you to these, the, the great people of God. So if you have a Bible this morning, open it to the book of Isaiah chapter 53. For the next few weeks up until Resurrection Sunday, we'll be going, we'll be staying in this chapter primarily in Isaiah 53. Which as many of you know is, is known as the, uh, it's, it's one of the servant songs of the Old Testament. It is known as the chapter about the suffering servant. It's what Jesus did for us on the cross. What I love about Isaiah 53 is, is it begins with a description of, and most of it is a description of what Jesus would do for us on the cross. But by the end, it's, it gets to the reason that he did it. And you'll find yourself in that place. In fact, you find, as much as Isaiah 53 speaks about Jesus, it speaks about us. You find out a lot about ourselves in this chapter. And you should find yourself in Jesus resurrected and in Jesus on the cross. Because I have to say, I was crucified with Christ. I have identified with his death. I've been baptized into his death, the scripture says. And I've been baptized into his resurrection. What does it mean to be baptized into the death of Christ? means you are fully immersed. You were fully there. When Jesus died, I died. And when he was raised, I was raised. There's an important part to that because on the cross, my old self was crucified. My old self died on that cross. Who I was died that day. But through the resurrection, I have a new identity. Both of those things are so important. Because you can't claim to have a new identity if you haven't put to death the old identity. And yet you can't just live saying, I used to be this person and I'm not anymore. Because if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away, but behold, look at this. New things have come. You have to be willing to look at the new things and find yourself in the resurrected Savior. In Isaiah 53, we see a Savior that uh, put himself in a position to be judged by mankind unfairly, falsely, We talked about it last week, how when he came, uh, he didn't use the normal methods of of looking like a king. There was a lot of things he could have done to proclaim and enforce his kingship. His disciples over and over again tried to get him to that place, you know, when a town didn't receive him, call down fire on that town. Uh, There was a moment when he fed the 5,000 and their families and and. It's Jesus said he had to go away because they were going to try to force him to be king. It's amazing that there was a group of people, thousands of people were willing to force Jesus to be king, and yet on the day uh, when he was on trial, hundreds or thousands of people yelled for his crucifixion. People are fickle. Crowds are fickle. We should not be like that, right? We shouldn't be fickle. We shouldn't be just, you know, riding the waves and when things are good, he's king of kings. And when things are tough, oh, where did God go? You know, we've got to be the people that believe he is and he is and he is and nothing can change who he is. In Isaiah 53, we're going to read again where we left off last week. And I want to start in verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore. And our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But, in other words, we thought he did something to deserve it. We looked at him on the cross. Humanity looked at Jesus and said, if God was on his side, he wouldn't be on that cross. The cross was foolishness to humanity. And people looked at Jesus on the cross as God's judgment on Jesus. Surely he's on the cross because he, he, just as we thought, he's not the son of God. He's not who he says he is. The cross backed up their claims to them. The cross proved that, that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. In fact, they yelled at him. They said, if you're the son of God, hey, why don't you come down from the cross? Why doesn't your father help you? They mocked him. And it says, but here's the truth of it. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him or our peace. And by his scourging, by his wounds, by his stripes, by his whipping, we were healed or we are healed. So there's this idea of it that, that humanity always seems to have. Uh, the society tries to push, and maybe you've heard it, uh, because society realizes we can't, we can't really reject Jesus outright, publicly, obviously, without looking bad. So most of the time, people that really don't like Christians will claim to like Jesus, right? People that don't believe what you believe, they'll say, oh, we like Jesus. And yet they've painted a version of Jesus that really doesn't match the scripture, doesn't match his life, but they want to embrace Jesus because they realize that there's no arguing about Jesus. That, that he did. He, he was like no other man who ever walked the earth. They know there's something to it. So they paint him as a, as a prophet. As a social revolutionary. As a great teacher. As somebody who all, tried to get all of humanity to just hold hands and walk together. There's a children family movie out right now put out by Disney. In which Jesus and Buddha stand side by side against the evil of the world. That's the kind of picture they want to paint of Jesus. It's all the same. He was just one of many great voices that stood against the darkness. Well, that's absolutely not the case. He's the son of God. There will never be one like him. He was and is and is to come. He's not just another voice, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. As C.S. Lewis famously said, you either have to believe he is who he says he is or he's a liar. He's either he's telling the truth, he's crazy, or he's a liar. You can't have it any other way. Because no sane person or no truthful person would say, I'm the son of God if they weren't. Unless they were truly the son of God. So what do people, how's, what's the narrative? The popular narrative now in 2018 is, you know, Jesus, you know, he just talked to the man. He just spoke to the man so roughly. I mean, he was a man of the people and, and, you know, they didn't like that. So they had to kill him. They had to shut him up. They had to kill him because they couldn't, couldn't take the truth he was spitting. Well, there's some truth to that. That's what they thought. But Jesus said very clearly, nobody takes my life from me. You see how they tried to throw him off a cliff one time. He walked right through him. When he was in Jerusalem, he was a wanted man. They had an arrest warrant out for him and he didn't show up until he wanted to be seen. Even when the soldiers came for him, he knocked him down twice with his word. Just to prove, you can't take me if I don't want to be taken. Peter tries to get his sword out. And I don't blame Peter because Jesus said right before the garden, Jesus said, if you if you don't have a sword, it'd be a good time to buy a sword. I don't know why he would say that. And Peter's probably frustrated at Jesus because he thinks, well, this is the time to use my sword. He pulls it out and he and he I don't he tries to attempt a great move. <laughs> uh, my, my theory or one of the theories is that he was trying to split down the seam of the, of the uh, temple guard's helmet and, and he missed and he cut his ear off. Like, you know, a great soldier doesn't start with somebody's ear. That's not the, the first move. You know what I mean? <laughs> the great warriors of old didn't start by cutting off each of your ears and then your fingers and your toes, you know. But he tried and he missed and he cut this guy's ears off and Jesus just grabs the ear and sticks it back on his head. Like the guy's a Mr. Potato Head or something. He just sticks it back on. He's, he's better. What did he demonstrate? You're not taking me. I'm giving myself up. He said it. He said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. That's the foolishness that the world can't understand. Why would he let himself be killed for us? And this is what the scripture is saying here. He was pierced through for our transgressions. This is hundreds of years before Jesus actually physically walked this out. The prophet spoke it. He was pierced through. Before the Roman soldier ever put that spear in the side of Jesus, the prophet spoke that he would be pierced through. Before he was ever crushed, before he was ever put on that cross, beaten and whipped, he said he'd be crushed, he'd be whipped for us. And by his scourging or by his whipping, we are healed. Isaiah 53, 6 says this. All of us, all of us, all of us. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Hear this. He addresses us as a group. All of us like sheep have gone astray. And lest you just want to step back into the group and say, yeah, we all did that. Then he points and he says, each of us has turned to his own way. There's nobody that hasn't tried to do their own thing. Let me just say this phrase. You need to do what you need to do. You need to be you. You need to do your own thing. That, to our culture, sounds very good. That's the the noblest goal of life, is is us being able to do whatever we want to do. You know, we tell our kids, you can be whatever you want to be. Do what you want to do. Do your thing. You be you. This is the highest, highest, uh, you know, goal in life is just to be yourself, right? And yet the scripture says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord, but Yahweh has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Do you see that the iniquity that fell on Jesus was a result of us going our own way? Us saying we've got a better idea. What was the initial lie in the garden? If you eat this, it looks good. It'll taste good. And what? You'll be as wise as God. Why in the world would humans want to be as wise as God? Because if we're as wise as God, we can make our own decisions. If I'm as wise as God, I don't have to wait for him to tell me what to do. If I'm as wise as God, I really don't need him. I can be my own God. And so they ate of the fruit and they died. They spiritually died. Spiritual death comes from us separating ourselves from a need from God. See, we only were able to separate ourselves from God when we first in our own hearts and minds separated ourselves from the need for God. I don't need him. Even today as Christians, our need for God pops up at interesting times. Our need for God pops up when we've tried everything we can do. We've reached the end of our rope. Then we look to him. That's a terrible way to live. Isn't it? I've used this example before. I mean, Jesus said, if you abide in the vine, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Abide in me. You'll bear much fruit. He doesn't say, when you're about to die, come and grab onto the vine for a bit and get some life. Then separate again. That thing's not going to bear any fruit. I've used this example before, so so pardon my repeating myself, but you know a scuba diver doesn't just take a breath when he's like inches from death. He doesn't just keep the mouthpiece off and see how close he can get to sweet sweet death and then put it back on and say, "Oh man, that was a close one." No, he just puts the mask on and he keeps breathing. That's our life in Christ. He is not our last resort. He's not our help when we when no, when no one else could save us. He saved us. I mean, he should be our first resort, our first place to look. He should be our only place to look for life. He should be our only spring of water that we drink from. But what do we do? We wait until we're dying of thirst and then we go to the well. You create a weird relationship with God, a, a, a twisted relationship with God where he is Somehow just the, you know, he is just the, 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 the moment before everything collapses. That's when you call on Jesus. He's your 911 call. But let me ask you, how close are you with the 911 operator? You guys tight? <laughs> if you are, we need to talk about your lifestyle. <laughs> Maybe you're calling that line a little too much. What if your kids only talk to you Just in a matter where they thought they were going to die. Just just right before everything collapsed. What if your kids only talked to you right before they starved to death? Or froze to death? That's not a relationship at all, is it? So we need to, to learn a new way to live. Which is to be shepherded. He says this, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord... Caused the iniquity. The iniquity of the sheep that strayed fell on Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Why do you think... Do you think it's a coincidence that in the next verse after he said sheep have gone astray, each one of us has gone after his own way, do you think it's a coincidence that in the next verse he describes Jesus as a lamb to the slaughter, like a sheep to the shearers? Do you think that's just coincidence? Like the, the prophet just got on a sheep roll and he's just like, well, let me just vibe on that for a bit. Or do you think those things directly go together? <laughs> Jesus died the death of a rebel sheep. He was the ultimate shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. But he did not die as a shepherd. He died as a sheep. He died as one of us. He gave his life as one of us. And I want to read you um, what it says in, in, in the last couple verses of this chapter. We're just going to skip ahead a little bit. And uh, skip down to verse 12. Or verse 11, he says, As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities or carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors yet he himself bore the sin of many and he interceded for the transgressors one one translation says this that he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the rebels he was counted with the rebels he paid the price for the rebels One uh read it to you in the message, he says, because he looked death in the face and didn't flinch, because he embraced the company of the lowest, he took on his shoulders the sin of the many, he took up the cause of all the black sheep. Jesus died as a rebel, but he wouldn't the reason he had to die as a rebel is because we were rebels, right? Now I want to present something to you because a lot of times when we look at the cross, we look at the cross. As this was why we can go to heaven. This is why when I die, I'm not really dead. I'm going to live forever. That's what Jesus did for me. He died so I don't have to go to hell. Well, thank God for that. I believe that. I celebrate that. But if that's your version of life, then what are you doing here right now? It's a very sad way to live, isn't it? Just waiting for death so you can go be with him. Thank God. I'm looking forward to that day. I celebrate it. I rejoice already. It's going to be great. But do you think that Jesus just did that so someday in the sweet by and by I could live the life he called me to live? No, I think think he wants me living that life right now. And I want to read you what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. Of course, we know this well because a lot of times this is a healing scripture for us. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, he quotes from Isaiah. He says in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. I want you to hear that again. We might die to sin, but we might live to what? To righteousness. We might live to righteousness. So settle what died, but then also come to terms with what's alive right now. I've been called to die to sin, but I've been called to live to righteousness. The scripture says this, says it in another place. You've got to consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What we really need to see is we need to understand what it means to be dead to sin, but you can't understand what it means to be dead to sin until you really understand what it means to be alive to God. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed For you were continually straying like sheep. You were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Notice what Peter says and what he doesn't say. He doesn't say someday you'll return to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. He says, you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Do you, do you understand that he, the problem isn't that he, he's calling you sheep? Like he says, we've all strayed like sheep. And you could say, well, we just need to stop acting like sheep. Sheep seem to stray. That's not the problem he's talking about. Because he says, now we've returned to the shepherd. Jesus still wants you to be sheep. He just wants you to be sheep with a shepherd. It's interesting that... Um, When Jesus tried to take a vacation, the people didn't let him. He had to postpone his vacation by three days. (laughs) We were having a conversation about that. I was talking to my mom. Mom said, well, you remember, you preached that even Jesus had to give up his vacation because of the people, you know? Sometimes you just got to put people first. I said, yeah, but he only postponed it by three days. (laughs) Anyways. Jesus is trying to get away. John's been killed. He wants to, he needs to get away and be with the Father. He needs to spend some time alone. So he tells the disciples, find a secluded place. What's the point of a secluded place? There's no people. (laughs) Get me away for a bit. Now, listen, don't judge Jesus too harshly. The man spent all his time with people. But you got nothing to offer people if you don't spend some time alone with the Father at some point. So he says, find a secluded place. He didn't say, find me a nice beach. He didn't say, find, you know, find me a place that, that uh, you know, has, some good, has a good band playing. He says, find me a secluded place where we can be alone. And the disciples take him on the boat and they take him to the other side. But word of mouth begins to spread. And they begin to talk to one another and say, I think I know where he's going. And the people run around the coast and are waiting for him when he gets there in the boat. Can you imagine? Here's why Jesus is better than all of us, but we want to be like him, right? I can imagine if I'm on that boat, and I I just need to get away. I mean, can you imagine if you're like, we're going to take a trip to Hawaii. We just need to get away, and you get off the plane, and everybody's there saying, you got time for a a meeting? You'd be like, I I just flew to Hawaii. I just want to lie down for a bit, you know? Jesus gets there in his boat, and everybody's like, hi, Jesus, we found you. (laughs) Remember us? You met you over there. You didn't tell us where you were going. (laughs) I checked your schedule. It didn't say you were coming here, but don't worry. We got it. Well, Jesus doesn't say, all right, boys, push off, push off. Start the car. Let's get out of here. (laughs) He looks on them, and it says he was moved with compassion. Literally, it says in the Greek, he was moved with his guts. He was moved in his innermost parts, and here's why. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What did he do? He began to teach them. Why did Jesus have to feed the 5,000? Because he tried to be at a place where there were no people. So when he ended up teaching them there for three days, there was nowhere to get food. These people were so hungry for something, they didn't know what they were looking for. They sat for three days with their families without food to hear what he had to say. He said to his disciples, if we don't feed them, they'll faint on the way home. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because they're sheep without a shepherd. They knew they needed something. And they knew Jesus had it. Jesus' response was compassion. And do you know we were never designed to be sheep without a shepherd? You look at the Old Testament, how... Even, even in the Old Testament, when God speaks to the shepherds of Israel. In other words, the leaders, the spiritual leaders of Israel. There's a scripture in Ezekiel where he says, you have not fed them. You haven't bound up their wounds. You haven't, you haven't helped them in any of this. You haven't, you haven't healed them. You've done nothing. He says, you've failed the shepherds. It's an amazing thought that, the she- that he puts a responsibility on them of these shepherds to, to be his hands, even in the Old Testament, that these leaders would not just lead people. He said, you dominated them, you controlled them, but you didn't actually help them. Because those shepherds were meant to be a reflection of the real shepherd up here. Now, here's what I want to say to you today. We may have been damaged by a human leader that misrepresented the good shepherd, I can almost guarantee that somebody at some point has failed as a shepherd in your life because I know that we are human. I know I have. I've been called to shepherd this church. I know I haven't been perfect all the time. There's been things, there's things I'm still growing in. I can acknowledge that I am not perfect, but I'm trying to be like the chief shepherd. And someday I'm going to have to answer to him. And in our own way, we need to get over the hurts of the past and let Jesus shepherd us and not say the answer to my hurt is to do my own thing and to close everybody else off, but rather to open up to the good shepherd again and let him lead us. Not just in times where there's no other choice. Not just in times where we're at our last resort. But we need, we need his shepherding voice in our life. Jesus said, my sheep will follow me. He doesn't say they'll follow me because they see me. He doesn't say they'll follow me because I'm going on a a normal path. He says, they'll follow me because they know my voice. And I'll lead them in and out and they will find pasture. They'll be fed because they're following the shepherd. Peter says, Now Jesus paid the penalty for our straying. So now we've returned. We returned to the good shepherd and didn't get beat when we came back. Didn't get whipped when we came back. Didn't get cast out because we strayed too many times. He paid the price for your straying, for your rebellion. The answer is, how can I reject the culture of the world, which is a culture of rebellion? You know, it's an interesting thought I don't think in my lifetime we've ever had a leader in our nation that we could say perfectly or even, I mean, you couldn't say there's ever been a leader that perfectly represented God's idea of a a leader. There have been some good ones. There have been some not so good ones. There have been some ones that have done their best. But, you know, we've never had a perfect leader. We never will. Right? And so sometimes it's real easy the, the, the easiest way to have a conversation about politics, especially in North America, is just to bash everybody, right? I've talked about this before. But when you just bash everybody, then you can't be criticized for anything because, yeah, they're all crooks, so we, we don't like any of them. And and then everybody can just agree with you, pass the coffee, we're all good. Yeah, we don't like any of them, none of them. And, and, and it breeds this cynicism. Did you know that the scripture says that we're supposed to honor authority because authority comes from God. That in our culture today, what we're going to see is as people reject God, they're going to reject all forms of authority. Do you know when when Paul talks about the last days, this is what's gonna happen? He talks about some really sinful, bad things. He says people are unholy, unloving. One of the things he puts right next to unholy is disobedient to parents. And we look at that and go, how does that fit? Because it's a sign of rejection of God that we reject all authority above us. When you embrace God, There's an honor for authority. There's an understanding that authority, human authority is never perfect. But God is. And because of God, I honor authority. That's how Peter can write honor the king while the king, the emperor, is trying to have him killed. He doesn't say do everything the king wants you to do, but he says honor him. And as our, as our culture is rejecting and saying the best thing you can do is just be free, be your own self, I'm here to tell you that's what put Jesus on the cross, was our desire to do our own thing. In the book of Judges, there are two times when it says there was no king, there was no judge in Israel. So each one did what was right in his own eyes, and it was never a good result. Because until we do what's right in his eyes, We're not going to know what's right in our own eyes. We're going to think we know. And the Bible says that's exactly what will happen in the last days. People will love evil and call it good. And they'll see good and call it evil. Because you think that it's all about if we tolerate everything, everybody be okay. But I got news for you. Nobody wants you to tolerate them. They want you to celebrate them and celebrate what they're doing. The world's not saying tolerate my behavior. The world is saying celebrate my behavior. What you tolerate, you will eventually celebrate. We should love everyone. We should honor all men, the Bible says. Honor all humanity because they're made in the image of God. We should love unreservedly. But we should say there is a standard that comes from on high that I don't get to mess with. In 2018, we experiment with everything. We experiment and say, what if this could work? What if the family could look like this? What if we could do this? What if we could do this? What if, what if government could look like this? And we just kind of are playing with society, seeing if it will work, rather than looking to the God that created humanity and say, how did you design us? Now well, that's a challenge. Even when you hear that today, that might challenge you. You might say, well, how am I supposed to react? I would say the first thing we should do is look and say, what is the shepherd saying? Am I shepherded only in moments of distress? Because am I the sheep that wanders away from the shepherd and gets lost in the forest, and then when the wolf comes and is about to eat me, I bow out for the shepherd? Or am I the sheep that stays close to the shepherd at all times? And even in the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for he's with me. David says, there's two things that comfort me in the valley of the shadow of death, his rod and his staff. Staff is easy. The staff is the thing that keeps you on the path. When you begin to wander, his staff leads you back. One of the great examples of the staff of the shepherd in our life is his word. It it guides us. it, It leads us back on the path Another is the people that he puts around us or even even in authority over us. God will use these people to speak into our life and correct us when we need correcting. But what is the rod? The rod isn't for the sheep. The rod is for the wolves and the bears and the lions. The bandit that pops out of the darkness and tries to kidnap you. The rod is a club. The rod is a weapon. The rod says, don't come near my sheep, they're with me. David says, that's why I have no fear. I don't have no fear because I'm crazy. I I have no fear because you're with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How many of you are comforted by the staff of the Lord? How many of you are comforted by the fact that you know you can be corrected? David says, that's comforting to me. And there's freedom in that, guys. There's so much freedom in that. You know, let me tell you how I believe that. When I let people into my life and I said, listen, you, if you see something in me that's not right, correct me. The moment I said that, I felt the freedom to just live out what Jesus called me to do because then I wasn't always asking, can I do this? Can I do that? I knew I could be corrected. And because I knew I could be corrected and I would take it, then there wasn't a fear that I might do the wrong thing because if I did, somebody loved me enough to tell me there's freedom in this. It's amazing that James says you should go back to the perfect law of liberty. You ever thought about that? The law of liberty? That doesn't make sense. How can it be freedom if there's a law? It's the law that gives you freedom, not the law of sin and death. We are free from the law of sin and death. But he calls it, Paul calls it the perfect law of love. That that perfect law now. The law of liberty has set me free from the law of sin and death. Thank God. King David says, says, to all creation I see a limit. But your commandments are boundless. Do you hear this? In all creation I'm limited. But in your commandments, in your law, in your word... I'm boundless. Now that messes with an unbeliever's head. Because we say, no, as long as someone's telling me what to do, I am not free. As long as someone's telling me to do what to do, I am contained. No, you're not. You're finally free. Thank God we have a good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I laid down my life for the sheep. He told them, here's the good news. He says, you're part of my flock. But he says, I've got sheep that are elsewhere. And they will one day, I will call them. And they will be part of one flock with one shepherd. And when he spoke about that, he spoke about us. The Gentiles being called into the family of God. Being part of that one sheep, one shepherd, one flock, one group. That's a wonderful promise. I want to read you something from Ephesians that really speaks to me in this area because I used to, I've told you this before, I used to say things like, I can't do that as a teenager. I, I had to really uh, fight that fight of what I could do and what I should do. I had to learn that all things were profitable, but not all, or all things were lawful, but not all things were profitable. I had to learn that I was called to be an alien in a land I was born and here's what happened. I, I, I used to say this. This was in my period of struggle with my own Christianity. As a, as a young teenager, my friends began to do things. My friends that we used to have common interests, but now their extracurricular activities involve getting high, getting drunk, doing things that, that I knew I shouldn't do. And when they'd asked me to go along with them into these things, I would say, I can't. I'm a Christian. I can't. Do you know what the word I can't says to your friends? Would if I could. Wish I could. What a terrible way to look at the freedom that Jesus gave me. You know when my life really changed? I remember remember when I got this revelation. I remember it was so simple. And to you, you might say, well, of course that's true. But to me as a teenager, when I really believed it, it changed my life. I heard the voice of the Lord say, stop saying you can't. Those are the things I set you free from. Say I'm free from this. And it changed my worldview because I stopped looking at following Jesus as this weird little cage and started to look at it as true freedom. You know those friends that started doing those things? They came to me later because they couldn't quit. And they wanted to. Some of them are free and some of them I don't know where they are. But the scripture says, by whatever you're overcome, that's what you're enslaved by. The truth is, there is no freedom in the world. There's only slavery that masquerades as freedom. And all we gotta do is look to the people that that got everything they wanted. Why do rock stars kill themselves at 27? Why do celebrities go through like so many marriages you can't even remember who they were married to? Why are they all having to add to their drugs and their prescriptions and whatever to keep themselves from going crazy. Keep themselves from being happy. Or try to bring themselves to a place of happiness. Because they found what they were looking for and it was total, totally and utterly empty. And they're realizing the worst thing I ever did was catch what I was chasing. It's like a dog who chases a car. What's he going to do when he gets it? And fortunately, some of them have lived long enough to say it. I've heard many celebrities say it. When we finally got everything, I finally got everything I was looking for. And it made me more miserable than I was started. Ephesians, there's something beautiful about this. Chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. What is a trespass? It's going against God's way. It's, it's going off the path. It's going your own way. Remember, that's what he said in Isaiah 53, our, our trespasses, our iniquities. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. What is a course? A course is a predetermined path. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working In the sons of disobedience. You see, when we were working, when we were disobeying, we thought we were rejecting authority. What we were doing was just submitting ourselves to a different authority. What does he say? We thought we were making our own path. Turns out we were walking according to an old path. And it was a path that was ruled, it had a ruler. This path has someone that's controlling it. It is the prince and the power of the air. It's Satan himself. It is the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. The world has sold the lie that disobedience is true freedom, but disobedience is true slavery. Disobedience to God, right? You know, Jesus didn't feel the need to do what everybody, to do what everyone else told him to do. But he, more than anyone else that's ever walked the planet, said all the time, I don't do what I want to do. The ultimate human. Have you ever seen a human who was a better human than Jesus Christ? You know, the book of Hebrews says he was anointed with the joy, of the oil of gladness above his brethren. This means to me that Jesus had more gladness than anyone that's walked the planet. Now, you're going to use the word happiness. I don't think that's, that's as full as joy. But even, even for our purposes today, just say this. Jesus was the happiest guy in the world. Jesus was the no, you don't actually have to say it. I'm just saying. <laughs> Talk a little bit about rebellion and everybody does exactly what you say. <laughs> Jesus was the, the gladdest man that ever walked the planet. He was the most satisfied, the most fulfilled. The world will tell you that to be that satisfied, to be that fulfilled, you must, you must throw off anybody that tries to tell you something and you must do what you feel like doing. And Jesus said, I don't do anything. I do nothing. I do zero of my own initiative. Like this is is mind boggling because even as believers, I'm the preacher here today and it still sounds weird to me. I'm the guy telling you I believe this and I do but I still want to believe it more than I believe it today. That somehow by saying I I gave my will to him to the Father I found gladness. I found joy. I found satisfaction. I found fulfillment. That's freedom. Jesus was the freest man who ever walked the planet and yet he did it by putting himself in a form of a bondservant. That's the paradox of Humanity. You formally walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So you are walking on a path that the devil laid out. According to the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Listen to this. Among them we too all formally, formally, formally lived in the lusts of our flesh. What does that mean? We did what felt right. Indulging the desires of the flesh And of the mind. Now, we as good Christians, we look at the desires of the flesh and we say, of course not. Look at those sinners over there. Look at them. Look at what they do with their bodies. Look at what they put in. Look at what they, you know. And and we go, oh, thank God I'm not like them. We we play a great Pharisee. But then he says, indulging the desires of the mind. Uh Uh-oh. See, us living by our own just pure reasoning and logic, doing what we think is right. Now, understand the mind is meant to be renewed, right? Amen? You're meant to be washed. So God wants you to use your mind. He doesn't want you to throw your brain away. He wants to renew and redeem your brain. But when we just do what we feel is right and we do what we think is right, we have stepped back into the course that we were set free from. He says, among them too, we formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We thought we were free. I thought this was my path. This is my path. This is my own. I'm the only one walking this path. And, and Satan is saying, ha, ha, ha that's the path that everybody before you has been walking. Do you know Why? Because what makes us different than animals? What really makes us different than animals? Yeah. See, see, see an, unbelieving, an unbeliever, an atheist will tell you what makes us different. Nothing really makes us different. We're just higher evolved. We've just, involved, we've just evolved our sense of consciousness. So we're not that different than the ape over there. We've just come further down the line. But the scripture tells us that he created every living being, but he only breathed his breath into one of them. He breathed his spirit into humanity, created us in his own image, gave us the breath of life. So we don't have to do, watch what an animal does. An animal is a slave to his instincts. An animal is a slave to what he feels like doing. An animal will do something and he doesn't know why he's doing it. He's just always done it right? That's how nature works. Those geese don't just say, hey, you know, it's getting cold. You guys ever been to Cabo? No, they just know we go this way. There's an instinct. Now, God put that in them. Why do you go get your dogs neutered? Because if you don't, You're dealing with a creature whose one instinct is, get me to a female, and they will do everything to get to that female, and impregnate that female, and then do pre- impregnate as many females as they can. I know some humans that aren't that different. <laughs> we were by nature. Why? Because we were living in a fallen nature. But we've been set free. We've been bought back. We are not like beasts. Even the songs the world puts out says, baby, we're just mammals. (laughs) In this natural, honey, you are not just animals. We are created in the image of God with the breath of God inside of us. We are not slaves to our instincts. We are not slaves to our flesh. We are not slaves to our nature. We've been set free to live up here. Seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. To have authority and dominion over our nature. Listen, if you believe that Jesus, I'm sorry, that God in the beginning gave us authority over all creation. Don't you know that the first bit of creation you got to have authority over is your own flesh. That was bought back through Jesus Christ. That's starting to get good. We were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. In verse 4, here's where it gets so lovely. But God... Being rich, I want you to hear, he is rich. He is rich in mercy. He is so wealthy in mercy. He's got mercy popping out of his veins. He is rich in mercy because of his great love, great, epic, legendary, immense love with which he loved us. You have been loved by a great love. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing richness. Surpassing richness, riches means more than you can imagine, more than you need. Surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. When you realize that for the rest of your life, God custom made you for something, And God custom made that thing for you. You'll understand that where the shepherd leads you, he'll lead you into a place of complete freedom where he has prepared things before you. The psalmist said this, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not lack. I shall not, there's nothing I won't have that I need. He makes me lie down in these pastures. He talks about him leading us beside still waters. Leading us to a place where we can eat. Leading us a place to where we can drink. Staying with us in a place of danger. Restoring our souls. As you realize, this is really what the world is looking for. The world is looking for a shepherd. They just don't know it. Everything the shepherd gives us, that pasture, that peace, that he makes me lie down. Do you know what it means to make you lie down? He says, have peace. There's nothing that's gonna hurt you here because I'm with you. Lie down. We're talking about the Savior that could sleep in the boat in the middle of a storm. The world's looking for that peace. He leads us beside still waters. This is a place you can drink from and it won't carry you away. The world's looking for it. Leads us to pastures where we could eat. The world's looking for this satisfaction. He restores our soul and they're trying to fill that gap and they never can. I want to tell you today that freedom is found in embracing the shepherd. I want you to ask yourself, am I letting him shepherd me? You know, it says, scripture says that in all our ways, we are to acknowledge him. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do you know what it means to me in all my ways to acknowledge him? It means every decision in my life, even when I think, I know. Remember, you're not meant to lean on your own understanding. So, What we do is we ask God, when we don't know what to do, when we are faced with a decision, we don't know the answer, then we say, God, what's the answer? But what if you were to say, I'm not leaning on my own understanding. In every decision in my life, I am going to listen for his voice. I'm going to look to his word. I'm going to follow his leading. He'll make my path straight. In all your ways, acknowledge him. What does it mean to acknowledge him? You know, is that, you know, shout out, glory to God. Just want to give a, just want to give a thanks to God. Want to give thanks to J. Ray. Want to give thanks to my producers. You know, is that what it means to acknowledge him? Give him a shout out? Two fingers to the sky? John 3.16 under your eyes? Or does it mean that I'm to, in all my ways, look and say, Shepherd, where are you leading me? We're relearning how to live. And I'm going to tell you that the old way we used to live, we were told it was freedom, but it was the greatest form of slavery. But he set us free. There is true freedom following the shepherd. You'll find a boundless pasture to to run in. You'll find that he'll take you to places you didn't know you could go. He will stretch you in areas you didn't know you could be stretched. He will show you things about yourself that weren't even there before. You'll find a new way to live. When we look to the guy that created us, how did he live? How did Jesus live? He listened to his father. Jesus was the most shepherded person that ever walked the planet. That's how he could be trusted to be the good shepherd. You can't lead until you know how to be led. Jesus was the greatest leader that we've ever had because he was also the greatest follower. He followed his father. He said, I do nothing unless he tells me. I say nothing unless I hear him say it. There's the owner's manual to humanity. Look at Jesus. If I'm looking for peace, I'm looking for joy, I'm looking for life, look at him. He had it. He had it overflowing. If I'm looking for for power, I'm looking for, for righteousness, I'm looking for all the things that I've been promised. Where do I look? I look to him. He had it. He's the new way to be human. He's how we were designed to live. Look to Jesus. Pat in your life and say, shepherd, I'm ready to be led. Stand with me today. We're gonna pray that God would open our hearts.